Good morning, everybody. Pastor Stephen DeWitt, glad to be with you this morning. Uh, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 29. The words will also be projected for you. But if you like to have that meaty Bible in your hand, grab one. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. Listen to God's word. As soon as Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon Peter and Andrew. Simon Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began waiting on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon Peter and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've been joining us uh, online the past few weeks in Epiphany, that you know that we're doing a sermon series called Secret Jesus. And if you want to hear Pastor Sam sing songs about our sermon series, Secret Jesus, you need to listen to our podcast. You're welcome. Secret Jesus is a series where we're following the lectionary gospel texts and we're looking at something that biblical scholars call the messianic secret. The messianic secret is, uh, is the thing that we see Jesus do, the secret that we see Jesus keep, especially early on in his ministry, uh, where he keeps his true identity as the Messiah a secret. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's the Messiah. And his reason for keeping this secret was that so many people had different assumptions and different expectations for who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do and how the Messiah would show up in the world. And their expectations were so strong and so defined and so pronounced that Jesus knew once people assumed he was the Messiah, their expectations would take over. And they would no longer be able to view him objectively or listen to what he was saying about himself. Jesus would no longer have the ability to define himself. He would no longer uh, be able to show people something different than what they were expecting to see from the Messiah. And that's the thing about Jesus, which is extremely important for all of us to know, whether we've been following Jesus our whole lives or if we're just kind of looking into him for the first time ever. Jesus 
is going to define himself. That is not something that we get to do for him. Lord knows we try, but Jesus is going to define himself. We don't get to do that for him. Jesus is not our projection of him. He is who he is. And that's really what this season of Epiphany is all about. Who is Jesus? Let's let him show us. Let's be quiet and listen and let him show us. Let's find out. So, this morning, uh, we have two stories in our lectionary reading this morning. Um, each, either one of them is very meaningful on its own, but together, if you take these two stories together, uh, we, we, have this, we get this wonderful insight about the identity of the Messiah. So the first story, in the first story, uh, Jesus and his disciples had just finished up at the synagogue. It was the Sabbath. That was last week's text. And uh, after services were over, they went over to Peter and Andrew's house, where they found that Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. Now, uh, the disciples were barely even disciples at this point. And they barely even knew who this Jesus guy was. They had not been following him for that long, and so they didn't quite know how he would feel about it. But it seems as if the disciples kind of cleverly, slyly nudged Jesus in the direction of at least checking on this sick woman. They didn't know. Were they allowed to ask Jesus for a favor? Were they allowed to ask that, hey, maybe you might look into seeing how this woman is doing? Were they allowed to ask him to heal the woman? But they did. And much to their delight, and maybe to their relief, Jesus seemed very concerned about this woman. And he knelt by her bed. And he touched her forehead. And he reached out and he took her hand. And he very lovingly Uh, helped her up, and immediately the woman was healed. It was a miracle. Wonderful. So then, a few hours go by, and Jesus and his disciples uh, and Peter's family, uh, they had a nice meal together, and the sun was going down, the Sabbath was finishing up, and they were ready to turn in for the night. And just before they were about to leave, they looked outside, and there were people everywhere. The house was surrounded. The entire town had turned up looking to be healed, looking to have their spines straightened, looking to have their cataracts dissolved, looking to have their anxieties pacified, looking to have their headaches relieved. Someone had let it out of the bag. Someone, my money is on loudmouth Peter, someone had let it out of the bag that Jesus was in town and he was accepting new patients. So late into the night, Jesus stays in Simon Peter's home, healing and meeting and blessing and comforting and amazing an entire town of people one by one. One at a time. That's story number one. And it's beautiful. And it ends on this really high note where Jesus, uh, the people are happy. Jesus is appreciated. The lame are dancing. The mute are speaking. And the Messiah is making a name for himself. 
Then story number two. Jesus is gone. He's gone. Everybody looks around, and he ain't there. It's only like five or six hours later. They stayed up really late the night before, and it must have been that Jesus slept only for an hour or two because he got up so early in the morning and left and creeped out of there before anybody had any idea, and nobody knew where he was. Jesus went to the wilderness to the desert, to a solitary place. The Greek word is the word eremos. I have preached on the wilderness. I have preached on the word eremos no less than three times in the last six months. I'm hoping it sounds familiar. The lectionary keeps leading us into this word wilderness. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit might have something to do with that. Jesus has intentionally removed himself from all of this attention and all of this recognition and all of this appreciation that he had been experiencing. He leaves all of that in favor of a place, in favor of a place that is devoid of life except for the life of God. And it's fascinating that Jesus does this. He retreats to the wilderness to pray, but it's even more fascinating if you consider the timing here. I find the timing curious for two different reasons. One, if I'm the public relations director for Jesus Christ, and sometimes I try to be, if I'm the public relations director of Jesus Christ, I am very eager to capitalize on the momentum of last night, right? Those people uh, are all healed all of that healing, all of that social capital, all of that momentum toward, toward bringing about the change that we're trying to bring. So let's keep the energy up, Jesus. This is a great time to be in the public eye. Yet he disappears. Why? And then secondly, about the timing uh, uh, Jesus had been up so late healing people and he was up so late being a very productive Messiah. And he was such a busy man, and he obviously had a lot to do. How remarkable is it that at his busiest moment, when he is most in demand, he withdraws to the wilderness to pray? I don't know about you, but when I get busy, the very first thing that gets squeezed out of my schedule is prayer. <laughs> and silence, and solitude. In fact, to be perfectly honest, even when I'm not busy, those are the things that get squeezed out of my schedule. Prayer, and solitude, and contemplation. For most of us, the more demands we have on our time, the less time we're making for prayer. For Jesus, it seems to be exactly the opposite of that. For Jesus, it seems like uh, uh, it's as though it, it, it's, it's because he had to stay up late into the night, healing and comforting and amazing people, and because he was so busy with so many demands on his time that he increased the amount of time that he was praying, which I personally find humbling. Because if the second person of the Trinity 
recognizes this as a personal need? Right? If the second person of the Trinity needs to prioritize his prayer life when life becomes demanding, if Jesus needs to do that, how much more does Stephen need to do that? Yikes. What do you think Jesus was hoping to gain in his prayer life? Why do you think Jesus left to pray that morning? I find it hard to believe that Jesus was taking time out of the busiest moments of his schedule and running off to the wilderness to ask God for stuff. Give me this day my daily stuff. I don't think that was it. What do you think Jesus was hoping for from this prayer time? I think it was directly related to the messianic secret. I think that Jesus was going so far away, often to the wilderness, to spend time with the Father in order to be reminded of who he is and what he came to do and to begin to reorient himself. Uh, Jesus did this on more than a few occasions in the Gospels. He would kind of steal away for a while, not always to the wilderness, but often to the wilderness. He would steal away for a while and, 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 and root himself in the reality of his identity so that whenever things were beginning to intensify in his life, in either a good way or a bad way, whenever things were beginning to intensify in his life, he would withdraw And he would spend time with the Father, and he would have the Father tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. To remind him of his identity, to focus him on his mission, and to sear into his consciousness the truth of the universe. Here's the thing, folks. You and I have an identity vacuum. We have an identity vacuum, meaning that we have this desire to take in, to suck in information about what people and what about our culture says about us. We want to be told that we're good enough or not. We want to be told that we're smart enough or not. We want to be told that we're pretty enough or not, that we're skinny enough or not, that we're rich enough or not, that we're likable or not, that we're fill-in-the-blank enough or not. We are vacuums for these things. We are vacuums for these things. And sometimes, because we are such identity vacuums, we believe things about ourselves that are not true about ourselves. We believe lies. I find it so interesting that the two times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus steals off into the wilderness to pray, one is our text at the very beginning of the story, the very beginning of the Gospels, chapter 1, and the other is at the very end of the Gospel, the very end of the story, chapter 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's crucified. So the first time, chapter 1, our text, when Jesus steals away, when he runs out into the wilderness, 
Everybody is telling him all of the greatest things about him. Everybody loves him. He's pulling off the charts. He's everyone's favorite potential Messiah. He is the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's a miracle machine, and people are lining up around the block just for some FaceTime, and there's some suspicion that he might actually be the one. But in chapter 14, the other time Jesus steals away to the wilderness, he has been utterly rejected by the entire world. His name was absolutely mud. Even his disciples had given up on him. Everyone was disappointed in him. And literally no one thought that he was the Messiah. Even the people who loved him to death. In both of those situations, when things seem to be really good and things seem to be really bad, Jesus runs away to spend time with the Father, to allow the Father to tell him the truth, to remind him of his true identity, to focus him on his mission, and to sear the truth of the universe into his consciousness. Folks, Jesus had an identity vacuum. Jesus. The second person of the Trinity had an identity vacuum. Jesus needed to be told who he was and that he was beloved. Jesus needed to be reminded of what his life was for. The second person of the Trinity needed to be reminded of this. Why do I think that I don't? It's crazy. Our identity vacuums can become especially powerful and especially dangerous when things are either going really well or really poorly. When we're feeling exceptionally good how life is going and we're kind of putting blinders on, or uh, when we're feeling really anxious about how life is going. When you're, at, when you're at either one of those extremes, it's sort of like the spiritual equivalent of going grocery shopping when you're hungry. You know what that's like? Where you're pulling everything off the shelves. Ooh, this looks good. This looks good. This, I'll take this. I'll take this. I'll take this. You never go grocery shopping when you're You pull everything in. You're a vacuum for everything on the shelves. When we're in those, those extremes spiritually, everything going really good or everything going really bad, we'll just take it all in. We'll believe what anyone says about us. When things are going really well or really poorly, it becomes really easy to believe things about ourselves that aren't true. Uh, this was a little nugget that was shared with me once about preaching, but I found that it's true in other areas of my life as well. A wise pastor once told me, don't believe your harshest critics or your most fanatical supporters. Chances are, neither one of them are seeing things clearly. And I found that to be remarkably true in my life. I see Jesus living by that same wisdom in the Gospel of Mark. Don't believe your harshest critics in Mark 14 when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and everyone's given up on him. Or don't believe your most fanatical supporters in Mark 1 where he's performing all these miracles and everybody's like, oh yeah, I'm on board with this Jesus guy. And so where does he go to hear the truth? 
when he can't trust either extreme. He goes to the Father. He pulls himself away from every other voice. He walks out into the wilderness and he hears that one consistent voice, that one voice of authority that has the right to tell him who he is and what he came to do. He steals away to the Father and he says, Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, Father. Tell me the truth. Remind me of my identity. Focus me on my mission. Sear the truth of the universe into my consciousness. Friends, tomorrow morning, you and I are going to wake up with an identity vacuum. What is going to be the first piece of information that we take to fill that void? And where is, it, where is that piece of information going to come from? From Instagram? From Fox News? From CNN? Foolishness. Where is that piece of information going to come from? Who is going to get the first crack tomorrow morning? Who's going to get the first crack at telling you who you are and what the universe is and how you need to show up in it? Let's do ourselves a favor and let's let the, let's let the Father tell us who we are, shall we? Let's let the Father tell us who we are. Let's give ourselves the gift of being the children of God. What a gift! Let's give ourselves that gift. Let's give other people the gift of seeing them as children of God. What a gift to them. Let's give our neighbors the gift of empathy. Let's give our political enemies the gift of patient listening rather than anxious suspicion. Let's give ourselves the gift of being enough, being enough in Christ, rather than what our social community is demanding of us. Let's give ourselves the gift of the Father's perspective. Let's let Him have the first crack at our identity vacuums. Jesus insisted that only he and the Father would define him and his ministry. Let's do the same thing. Let's do the same thing. Pray with me. Father, we have looked high and low to relieve our pain, to tell us that we're good, to feel like we're enough. We have turned to many different sources and resources to help us feel the way we think we should feel.
or to look the way we think we should look. No wonder we're self-conscious. No wonder we're on edge. No wonder we're anxious. No wonder we're so suspicious of each other. Steal us away, Father, to hear first, primarily, and most clearly from you. In you, Father, we find boundless grace. In you, we find joy and peace and contentment. In you, we find purpose and mission and meaning and fulfillment. Fill us up, Father, with everything that we require. Fill us up. In Jesus' name we pray.